Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Lucky Speech Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel, the Lucky Peach. We are on episode number 40. Woo, 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 woo. Um, why is my heart pounding? Well, I know why my heart is pounding, actually. Um, I'll get to that in a minute. I uh, forgot what I was going to say just now. Oh, okay. We would have hit episode 40 last week. I think I mentioned this last week. We would have hit episode 40 last week. Um, but, uh, you know, we had that week off in November, so we're reaching it now, which is totally fine. That's cool. I needed that week off because, uh, as I mentioned previously, the schedule being messed up in November really fucked with my head and the way that I view this podcast. So I needed that week off to recalibrate my mental schedule. Um, yeah, so it was very much needed. I'll stop mentioning it now. (laughs) I mean, I only brought it up because this is episode 40 and that's the reason I wanted to bring it up because this, that's the reason that we didn't start the new year off with episode 40, which would have been really exciting, but that's totally fine. Um, you know, next up, next milestone is 50. So that'll be exciting. When do we hit 50? I have it in my calendar. Let me check. Um, why is my heart pounding? Jesus, it's not like I haven't done this before. Um, we hit 50 in March, so just before the year anniversary of the podcast, which is in April. Um, let's see, hold on, let me check that. Let me get the actual date down right now because I'm going to forget. And then I'm going to like do what I did on past milestone episodes and completely forget while I'm recording them and not be able to announce them because I forgot. You know, I've write everything down a million times. Uh, if you haven't noticed, let's see, when did we go? April 6th. Okay. Let me write that on my calendar. I should write these things after podcasts like most podcasters do, but as you guys know, I have ADD. So if I don't write it down now, I will 100% forget. Um, April 6th. Oh my god, that's the day after the April streaming wars. Oh yeah, because the beginning of the month. Duh. So on April 5th, we will be celebrating uh, one year of the podcast. It's a streaming wars episode, but maybe, I don't know. We'll see. I could make March as a bonus episode. I already have plans for what that bonus episode is. Unless I switch it up right now and say that's going to be our year special. Which I don't even know what we would do, but maybe. I don't know. One year of TLB. Woo, woo, woo. It's in four months, so. (laughs) Anyways, um, thank you guys for being here. It is our second episode of the month of January, our second episode of 2022. This is actually the first one that I'm recording in 2022 because I recorded Streaming Wars early for patrons at patreon.com slash luckybeach. Um, yeah. Why is my, I am nervous, but like, 
My heart shouldn't be pounding. Like, I can feel it without touching my chest. That's how I know something's weird. I mean, I did just have a lot of sugar. But also, um, as I mentioned in Streaming Wars, I think at the time I had recorded it, I hadn't been, hadn't done my testing for ADD. I had only had my consultation. But uh, since then, I have had my testing for ADD. Did not go well. And by did not go well, I mean, I it's severe. <laughs> If severe ADD. Um, I don't know the official difference between ADD and ADHD. The way that I like think it, because ADHD has hyperactivity, and I'm not a hyperactive person. I more just have a hyperactive mind. I'm not physically hyperactive. I'm not a physically energetic person. But yeah, so I, um, I mean, there's no such thing as failing or passing when it comes to those kinds of tests. But you know what I mean. In terms of being uh, normal mentally, I failed. Uh, I was just fine. I, I knew it was coming, you know. Uh, it was cool though, because I got to put I got the, all those electrodes put all over my head, so I felt really special and cool. <laughs> I've always wanted that. Like I've always wanted to experience that. It's kind of uncomfortable. Well, no, I forgot they were there. Actually, what was uncomfortable was the paste they used to attach them to your head, because it's not like. The way you see it in movies, it looks like it's like a like they're sticky on one side. They're not. They have to paste them on there. Um, kind of like I guess. Uh, well, I don't know because with with crowns, they use cement to cement them to your tooth. It's a paste of some sorts. Yeah, dentistry use is like a liquid cement, I think. Um, what am I talking about? They also use resin, I think. I don't know, because they use UV lights in dentistry when they're attaching, like, a, a, like when they're putting in fillings now, they use a UV light. So I think modern uh, tooth fillings are like a resin of some sort. <sighs> Anyways, I did my testing. I got the electrodes put all over my head. It was uncomfortable afterwards because my hair was sticky. Um, so I had to wash it out and it was fine. It was no big deal, really, but it was just my hair wasn't cooperating. When you have short hair, it like, when it doesn't want to cooperate, it's a pain in the ass. So, I mean, I have very, very, very thin straight hair. So most of the time I don't have to worry about that. Um, fortunately, my hair is very easy to take care of, um, but it's very low maintenance, but, uh, yeah, that was, so anytime something like that happens, it's a little uncomfortable. Um, although recently, uh, if you watch the videos, um, uh, which episodes one through 30, the videos are now publicly available episodes, you know, 30 and up or 31 and up are, you know, released, uh, only for patrons at patreon.com slash lucky peach. Um, if you notice how often my hair changes color, I've been doing that for 10 years now. Um, yeah. Uh, and it just recently started drying out after 10 years. So, I mean, I'm surprised it lasted that long that my hair was healthy and it's just the ends. I mean, that happens. So I probably just need a trim. But yeah, I'm surprised my hair lasted as long as it did before it started acting like that. You know, for the last 10 years, my hair's been very healthy despite all of the chemicals 
the you know the chemical coloring I've added to it. I think part of that is because the colors, the color dyes I use are um, um, the conditioning treatments basically with color in them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the damage is mostly from the bleach and I have not dyed my hair since I bleached it last a couple weeks ago. So yeah, I dried out, but I did a conditioning treatment so it's in it's in tip-top shape now i mean it's not in tip-top shape it's still dry but you know it it feels nicer it doesn't feel dry anymore it feels moisturized but the hair is still damaged still needs to be trimmed <sighs> anyways um i did get medication for the add that is why my heart is pounding because it is a stimulant uh the first couple of days were rough i'm not gonna lie um I don't know. It's going to be a weird couple of weeks getting used to it. Uh, well, I'm in my second week of it. Yeah, I'm still a little scatterbrained, but I'm getting there. I'm getting better. I have noticed I am able to focus better, which I very much enjoy. I can get more done. Very. I'm already a quickie, like a quickly moving person at work, but now I can move even quicker. Like I'm the kind of person that can do something quick and do it right while I'm doing it quick. You know, because some people, they move fast and they end up half-assing something. I move fast and I do it right. So, uh, yeah, unless it comes to paperwork, then I have to think harder because I have, you know, memory issues. But, like, physical labor, I, I'm still scatterbrained, clearly. Uh, they did warn me that, like, when I picked up the prescription, that, like, I would get hyper-focused on one thing and I would lose track of time getting hyper-focused on that thing. And... I mean, that's probably what it is in terms of me going in ta on tangents. Uh, but that's definitely happening for sure. I am definitely feeling side effects of that mentally. Uh, but anyways, I don't know. I I, I kind of like giving all life updates at the beginning of episodes. Makes it more personal instead of just getting right to business. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, no, don't talk too much. Don't talk too much. You're here for a reason. But no, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep doing that. Um, I mean, and as always, y'all can give me any feedback you want. Um, I will take it. I'm very open to feedback. What else? Did I talk about? I don't know. Yeah, I can't remember. But <laughs> clearly, <laughs> um. So, uh, recently I became a member of Film Independent, um, which is the organization for, uh, people like me, um, you know, like aspiring filmmakers and such and critics. Um, it is the organization that runs the, uh, Film Independent Spirit Awards, which is like, uh, you know, one of the biggest award ceremonies for independent film. Um, I got my screeners recently and I lost my shit when I realized I got them. I like was so excited. I wanted to cry. Um, it was like, I was meeting Luis for dinner and then he pulled in the parking lot right after I got the news and I was like, jump. I was like, dude, 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 dude. I didn't know if I was going to be eligible to vote. And then all of a sudden they're like, here's their screeners to vote. And I was like, I just lost my shit. I was so excited. I was so excited. Um, yeah, I've only gotten through, I'm watching them, 
going through like the the um, categories. I've gotten through one so far. Um, I'm debating. You know what? It's a good reason. A good thing I brought this up because uh, I would like feedback on this for sure. I am debating doing a Twitch stream or maybe a simultaneous one with Twitch and YouTube um, of uh, me and possibly some friends uh, watching the Film Independent Spirit Awards in March. Um, they are on March 6th of this year. Um, I don't think we, we wouldn't be streaming them. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. And I don't want to get copy striked, but we would at least be reacting to them and talking, commentating over them, over the award ceremony. Uh, please, please give me feedback if you would like to see that. I will, I noticed, okay, on Spotify, I'm allowed to, I can, I've started, um, I'm able to ask questions and put up polls on Spotify now. So if you're listening on Spotify, um, that poll or question will be there. Uh, you can give an answer there. If you're listening on any other platform, um, you can uh, give me feedback um, on my Twitter at Lucky Peach, or uh, you can send stuff to the email at um, the, uh, no, no, no. The email is luckiestpeachpodcast at gmail.com. Um, also, big news, big, big news on top of that. Um, uh, the stickers are out. They uh, released last week with the episode of Streaming Wars. They are finally out. They are on a Ko-fi page, uh, which you can find on the link tree now. It is now available in the link tree, but it will also be the link to that website, to the shop, will be available uh, in the description of the episode. So easier access. Um, yes, it is like, uh, if you want, I'll, I'll read the website out to you right now. It's Ko, like K-O, dash... Uh, fi kofi.com forward slash um I actually forgot I actually forgot it give me a minute it's because sometimes I do something different okay okay kofi you know ko dash fi.com forward slash the luckiest peach um you can leave a donation to the podcast itself um if you would just like to do a one-time donation rather than joining Patreon at patreon.com slash luckypeach, which uh, I have another announcement regarding Patreon at patreon.com slash luckypeach after this. But yeah, you can leave a donation if you want. No, no, you don't have to. It's up to you. Uh, you absolutely do not have to. Um, but the um, the stickers are available to purchase there. Um, they are, if you are watching the video, I'm going to show you one right now. You can also go to my Twitter on my pinned tweet. The photo is there at Lucky Peach. The photo is there. But if you were watching the video on Patreon at patreon.com slash Lucky Peach, I am showing it to you right now. Woo, woo, woo. I will give you a verbal description of it also for audio listeners. I think I already did this last week, but I'm going to do it again. It is a peach. There is a peach. <laughs> obviously and there is a white substance um i'm gonna call it milk but there's a white substance splashing up from under it if you get my if you if you get what i mean if you get what i mean if you catch my drift and then over the white substance that we are calling milk uh it says the luckiest peach uh and the official like size of them um 
just so you guys know um, what the size is, because I know that's um, a very important thing, aspect of it, so you know uh, what you're buying when you buy it. What the fuck? I'm trying to find the right email from Sticker Mule. Oh no, that's a different thing. Fuck my life. I'm sorry. Um, the product dimensions of it are 4 inches by 3.1 inches. So they are rather large. Uh, also, if you're watching the video, they are about the size of my palm. Um, about the size of my palm, for reference. Um, rather large. Uh, so get in on that. I am able to ship internationally. Um, shipping within the United States is free because it's just an envelope with a stamp, but, um, international shipping, I do have to charge for that. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, uh, it's only a dollar 30 cents, uh, American, um, just because like they're, uh, it's a little bit more expensive to ship things internationally, uh, even letters, um, and also because of, uh, customs. So yeah. Um, they are. Um, this is also partially due to the size. This is what it, uh, I was recommended to charge for them. Uh, the cost of them is three dollars and fifty cents uh, U.S. dollars. Um, yes, yeah, so those are available now at Kofi.com/slash/TheLuckyPeach. Um, yeah, I'm so excited. I'm looking at the page of it right now, just uh, because. Um, and also uh, the announcement regarding Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lucky Peach. Um, I added a new uh, $1 tier um, uh, just to make things uh, more affordable because I know some people can't spare more than that and I understand that. Um, I honestly should have done that from the beginning. Uh, I just didn't think about it. Uh, but now it's there. Uh, it's a $1 tier. Um, it includes give me one second it um it's basically um basically what i did is it has the perks that the three dollar tier originally had and um i just like bumped up the perks for the six dollar and the three dollar tier a little bit um to differentiate between them because the three dollar tier does get access to the videos now um in the past, I only had um, the uh, um, I only I'm sorry in the, in the past, I only had the video available to the $6 tier and up and a couple months ago uh, I think in November maybe October I started making the videos available to um the three dollar tier as well um so yeah okay so the first the one dollar tier i just added uh is called peach babe very nice of course it includes you know the discord benefits everyone gets that um yeah you can get discord and you get the audio episodes a week early uh and now on the three dollar tier on the three dollar tier which is called i i appreciate you um, you, uh, you get early access to the video and audio versions, uh, as well as everything else. Um, 
and now the six dollar tier what i added to it um which uh, i don't know you get you get the video and audio a week early you get the you know the patron channels uh on discord um you get voting on cult of the month picks um and because i have such a low number of patrons that mostly includes me just talking to that person directly um you uh, also get a luckiest peach logo sticker that is made through patreon uh, i have no connection to that but you do get that uh it is uh the podcast logo i think eventually i will make my own and sell them but i will include this as a perk because then you just get it with the tier um and then an honor thank you um yeah and all the other tiers are the same so i think that is all the housekeeping information uh please do get back to me about uh or give me your feedback on the idea of uh streaming commentary over the film independent spirit awards the only reason i'm apprehensive about it um is one my work schedule um and two uh, because i'm voting i worry like i i don't like on letterboxd if you follow my letterboxd uh at lucky peach um i do have a list of all the films um but every time i've watched one of the films listed um i don't rate it and i don't leave a review i just um put whether i liked it or not like a heart and I tag it with in uh, Film Independent Spirit Awards and Screener. Um, I mean, the ones that I saw prior to getting this list of nominees are going to have ratings, but when I rewatch them, I won't put a rating. Um, so I'm doing that so to to keep like to keep an open and an open mind. Um, publicly as well as internally if i don't put a rating it helps me keep an open mind when i'm looking at all of the nominees um so my my apprehension towards uh live streaming commentary of the ceremony would be that i would in my like i would react certain ways that might reveal whether or not i voted for them and i kind of don't want to do that i would like to keep that private information um because what I can tell you, you know, with uh, the, the uh, category that I've completed watching so far, which is best documentary, I enjoyed all of them. You know, I have to vote for one of them, uh, but I enjoyed all of them. So, you know, I when I, if I live stream commentary over the ceremony, I don't want to... Uh, give the impression through my reactions that like I didn't enjoy the film that won if it's not the one I voted for or something like that um I don't want to give any like opinion of that um but uh yeah I mean if I do live stream it you know I'll obviously try my best not to do that I'll just react with an open mind which is totally fine um because it, 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 because I'm a voter, it's different from when I watch like other ceremonies where I can just, you know, I'm just an audience viewer. Um, but yeah, do do let me know. Uh, you can respond to the question on Spotify or if you are on other um, 
platforms listening, you can just uh, tweet me at Lucky Peach or leave me an email at uh, luckiestpeachpodcast at gmail.com. You can also ask me any questions you would like or suggest a film for an episode. But I think I've talked enough. I am rambling. That's another thing I noticed with my medication. I'm better at socializing. Um, I noticed that at work. I've been able to socialize at work better, uh, which I'm proud of. But um, right now I've been talking about random shit for 25 minutes. And (laughs) that's not what this episode is. So we're going to get into that. Um, Anyways, okay. So today's episode is Cult of the Month. Um, If you're new here, Cult of the Month is where I review a quote classic film, uh, which is a film that over time has garnered a cult following. Um, I've had a lot of confusion over what classifies a cult film, aside from the fact that it has a cult following, Um, but like what specifically classifies it, aside from the following, because there are a lot of like, like The Godfather has a cult following, Joker has a cult following, you know what I mean? So like, um, I've had a lot of dispute internally over what specifically qualifies a film as a cult classic. Um, Yeah, so, but um, that being said, we review cult classic films on this uh, episode. Um, Yeah, I pick them based off of this book I have that has a whole, like, fuck ton of, uh, like, hundreds of cult classic films. So that's how I've picked them. Uh, I am, however, this year allowing close friends um, to uh, and listeners to uh, pick an episode of their two. Well, it's a pick the film reviewed on the episode closest to their birthday. Um, so if you are listening right now, you can DM me on Twitter at Lucky Peach uh, or email me at uh, luckyspeachpodcast at gmail.com or even on Instagram at Lucky Peach. Uh, telling me your birthday and uh, I will tell you which episode is closest to it and you can pick a film uh, that fits that uh, episode um, yeah but I've chosen them based off of a book I have so yeah so this week's review is uh, Eating Raul from 1982 um, it is a American black comedy it is written directed and starring Paul Bartel with Mary, uh, no, 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 we get into the cast later. It is about a prudish married couple who resort to killing and robbing affluent swingers to earn money for their dream restaurant. Um, I chose this film because, uh, during the last Criterion sale in November, I saw it on the shelf and I thought the cover was really cool. Um, and then I saw the name and I was like, haha, I have a, you know, Raul Leonardo Chicano. He's one of my best friends. So I was like, haha, Raul. Um, and like the first impression I got of it was that it was going to be about cannibals. So I was like, ooh, that'll be interesting. So that's why I chose it. Um, that's not what it's about. I learned that last night. Um, I'll get into my opinions of it later though. Uh, so yeah, it's directed by Paul Bartel, written by Richard Blackburn and Paul Bartel. Um, cinematography is by Gary Th- 
Thild guy, Thild guys, Thild, how do I pronounce that word? Are the, oh, there are no phonetics. Let's see, Wikipedia, please. What the fuck is wrong with you? Sometimes they include phonetics on someone's name, sometimes they don't. And I don't like it when they don't, because I like I like when they include phonetics on how to pronounce something. Um, it's like Thield, Thieldgis, Thieldgis. Um, yes. <laughs> it was uh, produced by Bartel Film and Janus Films, because it's in the Criterion Collection, so it's produced by Janus. Um, is it was originally distributed by 20th Century Fox International Classics and Quartet Films Incorporated. The official release date was March 24th, 1982. The runtime is 83 minutes. Uh, the budget was $350,000. Um, and the box office was $1.1 million. So that was a pretty decent uh, profit for how low budget it was. Uh, they pretty much only filmed it in a few handful of locations, so that makes sense. Um, the plot. This is our favorite part because it takes forever to read. Uh, the plot of the film is, uh, Paul Bland is a balding wine snob who works at a cheap wine shop. His attractive wife, Mary, is a nurse who is routinely groped by hospital patients. When Paul gets fired, they are left with barely enough money to survive and fear that they will never realize their dream of opening a restaurant. Paul and Mary sleep in separate twin beds since they are prudes who disapprove of sex. They live in an apartment building which regularly hosts swingers parties, which they despise. When a drunk swinger wanders into their apartment and tries to rape Mary, Paul hits him on the head with a cast iron frying pan, unintentionally killing him. Thinking that no one will miss him, they take his money and put his body in the trash compactor. After they kill another swinger the same way, they realize they can make money by killing rich perverts. Uh, so here, like, reading it, it's like, oh, that's promising, you know? So, Doris the Dominatrix, a regular at the swingers' parties, advises Paul and Mary to place an ad in the Hollywood press which caters to men seeking kinky sex scenes. Mary lures men to the apartment by promising to satisfy their sexual fetishes. When they try to have sex with her, Paul grows alarmed enough to kill them with the frying pan. The Blands are surprised at how lucrative their scheme is. So, like, I like, um, I, I like that, um, the plot was kind of like, it starts off as, oh, we're going to kill, uh, you know, sex offenders, you know, sexual assaulters, uh, and steal their money, which is respectable. Uh, what I don't like about it is that they have to be like prudes, like, oh, we don't like sex in order to do that. I would kill a pervert anyways, and I'm, I... I also don't like the word prude, but it's a black comedy, so that makes sense. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a virgin or a quote-unquote prude, but uh, I would, I would do that anyways. I mean, no, Mr. FBI man, no, I would not, I would not kill anybody. But like, let's be honest. Uh, anyways. So yeah, at first I like the pro I like I like the blood at first. I was like, oh my god, they're gonna kill, you know, potential rapists. Or I mean they probably what if they already are, you know? Um what I didn't like about that part of it though is that they were swingers. So it gives and it's a black comedy, so it's making fun of everything. I get that. And it's supposed to be, you know, very crude. But um it's the fact that they are like 
Only swingers are like that. Only swingers are like that. So it's this weird, like, I don't know. I didn't like that part of it because I was like, you're assuming that only swingers disrespect other people's sexual freedom and boundaries, uh, which isn't true at all. Um, people who swing, to my knowledge and my research, are actually very respectable to other people's sexual boundaries uh, and limitations. So that's an uncomfy, like, to me it was an uncomfortable, like, assumption part of the comp, like, the comedic thing being that, oh, this is this virgin couple who doesn't like sex, uh, and they don't like swingers, which are couples who have sex and are in open relationships, and they just assume that all swingers are sex offenders, and they kill them all, um, and I mean, I know the beginning of it is because they, they, these men try to rape Mary, which is understandable, but, it still implies that swingers are uh, sex offenders um, because even like one of the op the opening scene or uh, one of the opening scenes uh, is Mary at work with a patient who is groping her and trying to have sex with her um, and she just you know makes fun of him and embarrasses him which was funny but then like later in the film that very patient turns out to be a swinger so it's like the fuck so at first you're like oh okay her patient gropes her and she doesn't like it ha ah. and then he shows up at the swinger party and that's how they're like oh that's no i don't like that anyways continuing on uh the blinds have new locks installed in their apartment to protect paul's wine collection the locksmith is raul mendoza which i laughed at because raul that is his last name uh my friend raul the nerdy chicano who's been on multiple episodes and we can't get rid of him but i don't want to get rid of him because i keep inviting him back <laughs> um but anyways i thought that was funny uh so whose service is a ruse which allows him to rob his customers homes he sneaks into the bland's apartment the next night and stumbles across the corpse of their latest victim paul confronts raul and both men realize they are in a compromising position they strike a deal neither will report the other to the police paul and mary will pocket their victim's cash and Raul will keep their other possessions splitting any proceeds with them and dispose of the bodies uh so you know a nice a nice uh compromise uh when a client of mary's fails to show one night paul leaves to buy groceries and a new frying pan since mary is squeamish about cooking and the one that they use to kill people it's understandable uh while mary is alone the client arrives late and tries to rape her Raul drops by and strangles the client to death. He offers Mary a joint and they have sex. After Paul grows suspicious, he follows Raul and discovers he has been selling the victim's bodies to a dog food company, selling their expensive cars and secretly keeping the money. Raul tries to persuade Mary to run away with him after they have sex again. He nearly runs down Paul with a car, so Paul hires Doris and Dominatrix to use her costuming and role-playing skills to get rid of him. This is where it gets upsetting. Like, I know, again, like I said, I know the purpose of a black comedy is to be crude and, uh, you know, uh, like, you know, crossing boundaries and a bit out of pocket and, you know, and vulgar. But this is where I started to get like, uh, this isn't even funny. 
Um, so Doris um, poses as an immigration agent threatening Raul, a Mexican immigrant, with deportation. She pretends to be, she then, on a separate occasion, pretends to be a public health worker who diagnoses him with a venereal disease. The pills she promises will cure him are actually saltpeter tablets, which render him impotent. These schemes fail to deter Raul's interest in Mary. The Blants fear they will lose the property they wish to buy for the restaurant to another buyer. To quickly earn more cash, they attend a swingers party in search of victims. Mr. Leach, a bank lender who earlier refused to loan Mary Monday after she rejected his sexual advances, sees her at the party and propositions her. Again, this is something that happened previously in the movie. She goes to the bank to try and get a loan so that they can buy the restaurant. And uh, the uh, banker guy, Mr. Leach, again, tries, you know, he gropes her and sexually assaults her. Um, and be because she rejects his advances, she, he doesn't give her the loan. He refuses it. Um, and then later on in the movie, he shows up and it's like, oh, he's a swinger. That explains it. The fuck? Um, yeah. I don't know if I'm just reading into uh, reading into it too much because it is a black comedy and it's not meant to be taken seriously, but like the assumptions that they're leading on, first of all, are wrong and ignorant and racist, but it's just uncomfortable. Anyways, uh, blah, 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 blah. Mary kills him with a rat tail comb. Uh, what the fuck is a rat tail comb? when I see it I'll know what it is the rat tail comb oh it's okay I didn't know that's what those were called it's the kind of comb that has a pointy end that like stylists use to part hair I didn't know that's what those were called anyways he kill she kills him with one of those and throws his body from a window while Paul and Mary try to retrieve retrieve Mr. Leach's possessions the party's host demands they join the nude guests in the hot tub or leave Paul loses his temper and hurls an electric space heater into the hot tub, killing the party goers and enabling him and Mary to take their money and sell their cars. That actually was funny. Him throwing the space heater in there was actually pretty funny. I'm not going to lie because every single one of those motherfuckers died really quick. It was, it was kind of funny. Um, a drunken Raul breaks into the Bland's apartment and threatens to kill Paul for not sharing the money earned from the swingers' cars. He announces that he intends to wed Mary and tells her to kill Paul with the frying pan. Instead, Mary lures Raul into the kitchen and murders him. Mary confesses her affair to Raul with Paul, who tells her that he already knows. This part bothers me, the fact that they call it her confessing it, because uh, she actually accused him of raping her. Uh, it was consensual. Uh, uh, actually, you know what? No, it wasn't. It was coercion. Very much coercion. But Mary calls it like him forcing herself on her. Again, coercion is rape. I apologize. I misspoke. Uh, but the way that Mary phrases it um, is... Uh, it doesn't line up with what actually happened, if you get what I'm saying, because it was not consensual. Like, yes, she did have sex with him, and yes, she was like, yeah, that was good, but she didn't 
entirely say yes. He coerced her into it, which is rape. Um, the way she explains it, though, is different. And, uh, yeah. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <sighs> I'm trying to phrase it so that I don't say it ignorantly or incorrect because it was coercion. When they have sex and afterwards, the way she talks to him is like she wants to see him again is the thing, is that she does see him again on a few occasions and they have sex those times. Um, you know, it doesn't change the fact that he coerced her, but she invited him back is what I'm getting at. Um, she very much invited him back, but the way she talks to Paul about it, she says, oh, he broke into the house and forced himself on me. Um, the first time he did break into the house, he actually wasn't supposed to be there. Um, he should have knocked, honestly, but he opened the door. He entered, uh, himself in, uh, but he was bringing the money from, uh, selling the cars, the possessions, not the cars. Um, but yeah, so he forces on himself on her the first time and coerces her. Uh, again, sexual assault, 100%. Um, she invites him back and explains the affair to Paul in a way that uh, makes it seem like it was all very much forceful rape. So, none of it's okay. I'm not going to say that it was. None of it was okay. Um... Mary very much is a victim to it, but she's not innocent in it, if you get what I'm saying. If you get what I'm saying. I, I don't know how to explain this without it sounding wrong. Hopefully you guys understand what I'm trying to say. But what I'm trying to say is the way that she confesses her affair isn't confessing an affair is what I'm saying, uh, because they do straight up have an affair after that first, uh, sexual assault with him, which is 100% sexual assault. Um, anyways, uh, so after that, the Blands suddenly remember that James, the real estate agent who's helping them buy the property for the restaurant, will arrive for dinner soon. With no meat in the house and no time to go grocery shopping, they cook Raul and serve him for dinner. Uh, describing the dish as Spanish. Uh, the Blands buy the building for the new restaurant, Paul and Mary's Country Kitchen. And the final shot is them standing outside the restaurant and it says Bon Appetit. Instead of like the end or, you know, stuff like that. So, yeah. Okay. I really got caught up trying to explain that further because I didn't want to misspeak and explain it a way that wasn't correct so i apologize if i did that wasn't my intention uh anyways the cast paul bartell as paul bland mary warrenoff as mary bland them two um 
They actually collaborated a lot on a few films. Robert Beltran stars as Ra Raul Mendoza. Uh, Susan Sager as Doris the Dominatrix. Um, Buck Henry as Mr. Leach, the bank manager. Eden McClurg uh, has like a, a small cameo in the film. I wouldn't call it a cameo. Well, yeah, no, it is a cameo because she's in like one scene and has like three minutes of, of screen time. She goes up to them and wants to, when they go to that swingers party to like find victims, uh, she says like, hey, me and my husband want to have sex with you all. Um, Richard Paul plays Mr. Cray, which is a liquor store owner at the beginning of the film. Um, yeah. So, uh, critical reception. Roger Ebert, the podcast's least favorite person. Uh, he gave Eating Raul two stars, explaining, The movie's got some really funny stuff in it, and I liked a lot of it, and I wouldn't exactly advise not seeing it, but it doesn't quite go that last mile. It doesn't reach for the truly unacceptable excesses, the transcendent breaches of taste that might have made it inspired instead of merely clever. Now, in a rare occurrence in the podcast, which I don't think this has happened, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think this has happened in the last eight months of the podcast. I do not think this has happened, but it's about to happen. I agree with Roger Ebert. I agree with Roger Ebert for the first time ever on, on the podcast. I don't know if I have off, off, off air, but the first time on air, on the podcast, on the record, I agree with Roger Ebert. So I'm not going to say fuck you to him this time. Normally I do. This time I'm not. Uh, anyways, Vincent Canby of the New York Times wrote, One mustn't blunt its pleasures by calling it a laugh riot. It is full of smiles punctuated here and there by marvelously, marvelously, unseemingly guffaws, but most of the time it works its little wonders quietly. The comic style is purposely flat, plain and ordinary, like a piece of pop art. That's true. Uh, the comic art is very flat. The way that they kill people, you know, it's with the cast iron skillet, um, which uh, um, accurately, what I assume, to kill somebody with a blunt force trauma like that, you would have to hit them multiple times repeatedly over the head. This film, the way they kill people, they just smack them once with it and they're dead, uh, which is funny. Uh, it's very comic. Very, very uh, pop party. Um, Rotten Tomatoes gives the film a score of 86%. With an average rating of 6.8 out of 10. Based on 21 reviews, the website's critics consensus for the film reads, Eating Raul serves up its spectacularly lurid tale with a healthy heaping of pitch black humor and anarchic figure. Um, there's no notes about the production. Wow. Um, on April 13th, 2004, the long out-of-print film was released on DVD by Columbia TriStar. Um, so it wasn't, there was no way to own it physically until 2004. Um, on September 25th, well, I mean, there might have been, but it says long out-of-print, so. But I feel like it would have said for the first time. So, Maybe. It's possible, but it was out of print for a long time. That's as much as I know. 
I don't actually know. Um, on September 25th, 2012, the Criterion Collection re-released the film on DVD and on Blu-ray. Let's see what number spine it is. Uh, nope, I only have the link for the channel. I don't need the channel. I want the actual website for the collection. What number spine is it? Um, yeah, the cover of it is really cool. It's like a, it's a pop art actually style. Um, it's a, you know, a cast iron skillet frying pan. Um, there's like a com comic style, you know, animated mouth with a leg hanging out of the teeth. Uh, and then there's like a pop arty, like modern looking font around the mouth inside the pan that says eating roll and it's the background of it is yellow and the criterion logo and the like information on the side of it from criterion is hot pink or magenta actually it is where the fuck it is spine number 625 uh... oh that's cool okay the blu-ray comes with uh, an audio commentary from screenwriter Richard Blackburn, production designer Robert Schulenberg, and editor Ellen Tumayan. Uh, there are two short films from uh, Paul Bartel called The Secret Cinema and Naughty Nurse uh, from the 60s. Um, Cooking Up Raul, a new documentary about the making of the film. Nice. A gag reel. Uh, archival interview with uh, Paul Bartel and Mary Warnoff. Uh, the trailer and a booklet with an essay by film critic David Aronston. Nice. Okay. How does, how does, uh, how does, uh, I don't know. Okay, this is what Criterion says. A sleeper hit of the early 1980s, Eating Roll was a body, gleefully amoral tale of conspicuous consumption. Mm. Uh, Warhol superstar uh, Mary Warrenoff, Paul Bart, uh, and cult legend Paul Bartel, who also directed, portray a prudish married couple who feel put on by the swingers living in their apartment building. One night, by accident, they discover a way to simultaneously rid themselves of the perverts. The people that come into their apartments are for sure perverts, but swingers themselves are not perfect perverts uh down the hall and realize their dream of opening a restaurant mm. Mm. they realized their dream before they started killing people um a mix of hilarious anything goes slapstick and biting satire of me generation self-indulgence mm. it is satire of that but does sexual liberation and the sexual revolution need to be satirized? Because that's very, very important. That's a very important thing for society, considering how conservative American society was until those specific revolutions, those more societal and cultural revolutions. So, mm, uh, yeah, eating roll will mark the end of the sexual revolution with a thwack by satirizing it. Um, 
Well, uh, you know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, it's I guess it's more satirizing people who were against it because the main couple. Okay, I get it. No, I get it. I get it. I get it. I get the point of the film, but uh, I still don't like it. And I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, so for uh, Legacy, Warren of and Bertel later appeared together as Mary and Paul Bland in a cameo in the film Chopping Mall. Warren of and Beltran uh, appeared together again in Night of the Comet, though not as their eating role characters. The two also starred together in Bartel's critically acclaimed follow-up feature, Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. Uh, an eating role stage musical adaptation was presented off-Broadway in 1992 and also played in London in 2000. Um, a sequel titled Bland Ambition was planned. The script was written by Paul Bartell and Richard Blackburn. As described by Bartell, the film starts with Paul and Mary Bland happily ensconced in their country kitchen where they're doing a land office business. The arrogant young governor of California. Hi. Welcome back to uh, my parents interrupting the podcast. It hasn't happened in a few months, but here we are. Anyways, uh, the arrogant young governor of California stops off to have lunch and is furious. He is not recognized and permitted to jump the line. In retaliation, he sends a health inspector to close down the country kitchen. What a Karen. And Paul and Mary are encouraged by the media to retaliate in kind and run against him for governor of California. Bland Ambition was about 10 days from the start of filming in April 1989 when Vestron withdrew its fi financial backing. I um, don't know how I feel about that. I mean, I don't know. Again, I don't. I haven't read the, that script. But uh, I wonder if it actually mentions the events of, you know, if it would have mentioned the events of the previous film because they killed people and cannibalized somebody. Um, yeah, so getting into it, the more I've thought about it, and as I was speaking over it, and reading through the plot, and talking over it, I can understand what it was satirizing. Now, finally, it was satirizing, you know, conservatives who uh, are prudish, and disapprove of sex like that. Um, uh, and assume that swingers are perverts and people who are sexually liberated are perverts. I understand that for sure. The reason I didn't like that is because, you know, I come from, you know, the 21st century, older Gen Z, where uh, I don't particularly take to that kind of thing. And I get in the 1980s, you know, when that stuff was big, that makes a lot of sense. It's very indicative of that time period to satirize that exact thing. I just personally, you know, as somebody who is acquainted with people who um, are sex workers or are very sexually liberated, I don't like that assumption that sexually liberated people could be perverts. But I, I get why that, you know, my mom threw a fit the first time she found out I wore thongs. So I, I can get that. Now that I think about it, the more I've thought about it. But where I don't like it specifically in that front is that it was, it felt like a big rape joke. And 
I know, I know. Yeah, like, it's like, you know, they're killing these perverts that they don't like. But I, again, I'm not conservative and I wasn't alive during, uh, you know, the sexual revolution. And, uh, you know, I wasn't alive and I wasn't a conservative prude during the sexual revolution. But I don't like that. I just don't like that. I know conservatives assume that sexually liberated people you know, they assume or think that they are perverts and, you know, and menaces to society, but I don't like that. They're just like, no, they're all rapists. And that's why we're going to kill them. Like, what? What? Like, the scenes where, you know, they, because they, they pose as, uh, well, they pose Mary as a dominatrix who wants to give into those fantasies. Some of those sequences are interesting because it's just these creepy old men wanting to pursue their fantasies with a woman, which is, it still happens today. And it's totally fine. It's respectable. Except for one of them. One of them, one of those scenes was fucked up because it was a guy who had a Nazi fantasy. That was actually fucked up. But the others were like, it's understandable. You know, it happens. With the exception of that one, it's understandable and respectable that some people want to seek out sex workers to live out their sexual fantasies, as long as they are not, you know, offensive and anti-Semitic. That's understandable. But uh, half of those sequences, the people that they brought in, then attempted to rape them. Those, I'm like, okay, that's part of it. But... And it adds to the like, oh, so people looking to live out their sexual fantasies with this sex worker are rapists? What? And it it and then like the fact that like a big part of the subplot was that, oh my god, everyone wants to fuck Mary. Everyone's trying to rape Mary. And like again, that's part of the driving force into you know them starting to kill people and why they kill people, but it just feels like a big rape joke. Like, as a feminine, uh, well, as a person with feminine body parts, being looked at like that, being groped like that, you know, having had experience, unfortunately, I have had sexual assault experience and have been, you know, groped in public and ogled at in public. I mean, I'm not as pretty as you know, Mary Warrenov, but I've had those situations happen. I've had it happen at work. Um, having had those happen, to be in Mary's shoes, and I get it, it's, it's a joke, it's satire, it's black comedy, I get that, but to, to be in Mary's shoes like that and constantly, constantly treated like that would be so frustrating and upsetting. Like, I don't, get that that was a joke I don't think that was funny I really don't it just felt like a big rape joke and I don't I don't know if that's just you know part of you know my upbringing in my generation or you know 
me being a survivor myself and already hating the idea of all that. Um, but uh, I just don't like that. It just felt like a big rape joke and I'm not a fan of rape jokes. Especially like that. Killing rapists, that's funny. That's understandable. I can get behind that in a film, but a big part of the film being a joke about, oh, everyone wants to fuck this woman. Everyone's trying, all these men are trying to rape this woman. That's not a joke. That's not funny. That's really not. The other part that really pissed me off was how racist it was. It was incredibly racist. Incredibly racist. And again, indicative of the time period. That kind of shit was okay back then in comedy. But you know what? It's, it's 2022. I'm going to give it a 2022 worthy review. It's incredibly racist and I didn't like that. I didn't like it. I couldn't stand it. Um, I can, you know, Raul making jokes about himself as a Latino. That's normal. That's okay. That's normal. But, you know, the rest of the cast was white and they constantly were saying racist shit. At one point, using a certain uh, slur um, uh, that is, uh, it's a slur from a word about a certain food that a lot of Latin Americans consume, if you know what I mean. It rhymes with mean, or meaner. They use that slur. Um, the white characters, I mean. Uh, and like, I'm used to, you know, we live in a society now where people of marginalized communities uh, have reclaimed slurs, you know. Um, so like, you know, it's okay for those specific communities to say, you know, like I say queer slurs all the time about myself only about myself, but about myself. But, uh, no, that's obviously not the case. It's the white characters using slurs and playing into stereotypes of, you know, oh, Mexicans are thieves and crooks and they're dangerous. And the opening sequence, which happens in uh, the, like, wine shop that Paul works at, before he gets fired, uh, they get robbed by a black man, and they make it very obvious that they specifically chose a black man to play that role because he's one of the like three or four people of color in that film, and all of the people in the color of color in that film are portrayed as criminals. Um, that and just a lot of the comments that the white characters make about you know, the characters of color is just, it's uncomfortable. It really is. And then, you know, as I mentioned previously, you know, Doris posing as an immigration agent to threaten Raul with deportation to like try and persuade him to get away from Mary. It's, it's not even funny. Like I get it. That's supposed to be a joke, but it's, it's not, it's really not that funny the fuck my computer just made a noise i'm sorry it's not funny 
it's not funny to me. I thought it was incredibly fucking racist. Um, yeah, afterwards I went to the reviews. I know this film was very loved by a lot of people. Um, yeah, it says, uh, one of the reviews reads, uh, lots of, um, comedic rapes. Yeah, that's not funny. Um, the comedy, going back to what Roger Ebert said in his review, the comedy is very flat. Very basic, very standard, but not in the way of some satires and comedies, like, uh, for example, like Airplane, where, like, it's very basic, standard comedy like that, but it's insistent and never ends, and it's hilarious. This is just, like, occasional. And it's just clever, but it's not, like, actually, like, haha, it's not a laugh riot, in my opinion. You know, I wouldn't not recommend it. Because, you know, watch it for yourself. Gain your own opinion on that. If you disagree with me, that's totally fine. It's understandable. Uh, this is merely my opinion. I didn't like the film. Um, yeah, I can't. There really aren't that many low reviews of it. And I'm one of the only ones. Um, the part... Okay, this is another thing that bothered me before I read this review. Um, I mentioned at the beginning of the episode that the title leads one to believe that it's going to be about cannibals. And like in the end of the film, it dwindles onto that. Yes, they do eat Raul. They do become cannibals at the end of the film. But, uh, I feel like that serves as a spoiler in a way. And this is an old film, so that doesn't matter really, but it's also misleading because you read the title of the film, you're like, eating Raul, oh my god, are they going to eat more people? They're going to eat people? They're going to eat a lot of people? No, they eat one person at the end of the movie. It just felt a little misleading, and I don't like being misled. Uh, so I'm going to review, read a review um, from PTA Bro. I think they, I'm going to assume that that person really likes Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, he gave it one and a half stars. Uh, he said, or they said, what are the pronouns? Do they have their pronouns? On their page, no activity. Wow. Okay. Okay. He, him. Okay. His review reads, uh, well, that was interesting. I'm all for a good black comedy, especially one that involves killing swingers for money and selling the bodies to a taco stand. But with eating Raul, I just could not get past the performances of the leads and most of the swinger cameos. Although Robert Beltran as Raul himself did a fine job. He, yeah, he did a good job. Uh, unless the dialogue and wooden acting were meant to be intentionally campy, as some of the set pieces and gags clearly implied, it was just grating to hear characters spout a line of exposition for the sole reason of bridging a cut. Um, yeah, uh, he has an example where it says, like, look, a wallet. And it cuts to a close-up of a character picking up a wallet. Um, or saying, James, eight times in the same shot to remind us that yes, James James's imminent arrival is of the utmost importance. The real problem here is that Eating Raul clearly wants to be a campy B-movie satire. It does its best with over-the-top ideas, but fails in living up to the satirical or so bad it's good potential. The gags are presented in such a flat, unsettled manner that it feels like Bartel was more concerned with the inherent humor behind them rather than the execution. Um, 
It doesn't help that there is no real style to the film. The camera is always eye level and horizontal and the lighting is always artificial. The performances, while bad, are either too subtly intentional or not bad enough to at least make them interesting. Eating Rowell was polished enough to keep it from feeling like it was made in a shoestring or on a shoestring, restrained enough to keep it from feeling campy and corny enough to keep it from being any good. I agree. Um, let's see if I can find another review. Um, yeah, uh, that one says more of the same. I'll read it anyways. Uh, this review is from Cherry. Um, let's see if I can find pronouns. Uh, okay. Oh, she watched Titan recently. Okay. Um, so, Cherry's review states, uh, Loved the concept of murdering sleazy men. Hated the execution. Same. Uh, this was so one note and repetitive that I felt like I was going to lose my mind. The comedy they throw in is more like when you're rushing to be funny in a school project and it just completely misses. A prime example of why I created the poster is cooler than the movie tag. Yeah, they, she has a tag that says the poster is cooler than the movie. That's true. I think it is. My review um, is one star. <laughs> um did I read? Uh, Cherries was one and a half. Mine is one star. Um, I said, uh, big oof. I can understand killing attempted rapists, but this movie would have been a lot funnier if the whole thing wasn't a big rape joke with rampant racism mixed in. Also, the title being misleading was a big turnoff. Yeah, that's my review. I gave it one out of five peaches. I did not like it. Um... I'm sorry, Raul, that I chose this movie because it reminded me of you when this movie is actually not a thing for me. I agree with those other reviews. For once in the history of the podcast, I agree with Roger Ebert. It was pretty flat. It felt like it was trying too hard to be funny. The execution of the jokes was like, ha, look, I made a joke. Like a, like when a straight white man makes a joke and looks back and forth, I think it's going to be the funniest thing in the entire world in it really wasn't funny at all uh for example my dad does that all the time um but that is my review yeah uh let me know if you liked that i read some of the letterbox reviews i, I kind of wanted to include that on top of the critic reviews because letterbox is you know everyday people um maybe i should read like a well it's too late but uh next episode or next uh cults of the month uh, do give me feedback of whether or not you would like me to uh, read letterbox reviews again. Um, instead of just reading bad reviews, like next time I can read both uh, bad and good reviews. Um, but I already got off of letterbox. So I don't feel like going back. Um, you know what? Fuck it. Let's do it. Okay. This will be it. And then I'm closing out the episode. I apologize. I'm sorry. I mean, I don't apologize. Y'all know I like to fucking... <laughs> plan episodes as I'm recording them. Okay, so um, I'm going to read a review from Tony the Terror. Um, oh, this is a horror person. 
when I say horror person, I mean people who um, almost exclusively consume horror. Um, um, they, them. Okay. <sighs> Their review is four and a half stars and it reads, oh wow, I absolutely love this. It's about an uptight couple who discover an unconventional way to make money and they accidentally kill a neighbor and it's just so much fun. Also, I love Mary Warrenoff. I remember this being a popular movie in the 80s, although I was too young to see it during its heyday. I remember always seeing that VHS box at the video store, but I never had an overwhelming urge to sneak watch it without my parents knowing. Once I was grown, I went through a period where I was entirely obsessed with anything related to Andy Warhol and the factory, which is where I discovered Queen Mary Warren, uh, uh, what's her last name? Warnoff. Uh, and still, I never got around to watching this. Now that I have, I am certain that this will be the beginning of a lovely relationship with this movie. I mean, I knew she was amazing, but this movie really gives her a chance to display her great comic timing, and I love, love, love it to pieces. I don't think I've ever seen anything else by Paul Bartel, but I'm willing to explore even if none of them will be as good as this because Mary Warrenoff. I, is my personal opinion, I feel like their review was a little bit biased. I'm not disagreeing with them. I mean, I didn't like the film, so I do disagree with them on that, but it feels biased uh, in a way, which is understandable. That happens. Um, let me find another one real quick. Um, I mean, I did like that it was a review from somebody who was alive when the movie came out, but they didn't see the movie when it came out. That's totally fine. Um, I'm trying to find a short one. Uh, somebody called it Diet John Waters. I can't comment on that. I don't think I've ever seen a John Waters film. I've seen films that John Waters is in, but I've never seen a John Waters film. Um, somebody called it Army Hammer's favorite movie. And then too soon. That's funny. Um, that is funny. I bet it is. Uh, I couldn't find another review, but uh, I think I'll do that. Uh, continuing on with reviews, reading a lower review from Letterboxd and a higher review from Letterboxd on top of my own. Um, new year, new plans for the podcast. So yeah. Uh, I keep saying I want to stop doing like this, like impulsively looking shit up during it but you know I feel like that's part of the chaos of it it's part of the vibe so yeah I'm not gonna apologize I do apologize a lot but at the end I don't I am the way that I am I do apologize for misspeaking when I was explaining um Mary confessing confessing her affair uh to Paul um Um, I do like, another part I didn't like about that is that Paul uses a uh, racist phrasing when he's like, I know, I know he's a, you know, assumption that, you know, Hispanics and Latin Americans are, uh, criminals. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I do apologize for misspeaking about that. 
I didn't think before I started talking. I was just kind of letting it flow out of me, which normally works, but that time it ate me in the ass because I hadn't put my thoughts together on that yet. Uh, so I apologize for that. Um, yeah. Uh, but thank you for listening uh, to this. Um, you can find me everywhere at Lucky Peach, LBCKY Peach. Um, I do apologize, no episode, no updates on the website, but, um, you know, that Kofi page is live. So, yeah. But if you go to the description of this episode or any of my socials, you can find a link tree. That link tree will take you to my Twitter, my Instagram, TikTok, Twitch, Letterboxd, uh, the Patreon, patreon.com slash Lucky Peach, the Kofi, uh, YouTube, um, link to the youtube itself is just youtube.com slash the luckiest peach uh, yeah um thank you to my patrons at patreon.com slash lucky peach for joining um and for supporting the podcast um yeah in the description of this podcast you will find the Kofi link as well as uh the link tree uh I think there's like another link in there somewhere i think it's the patreon or the discord i can't remember um but yeah those links are also in the description of each episode so you don't only have to go to my socials to find it i realized i should have i shouldn't have like for the last eight months i was saying if you go to my socials you can find the link tree but the link tree has been in the description of the episodes the whole time so it was just dumb on my part but uh yeah, those links are in the in the description. They always have been. I'm just an idiot. Um, but yeah, the Kofi is there. The stickers are live. Um, if you would like to get a sticker, I, I would very much appreciate your support. Uh, put a lot of hard work into designing them. Um, but it's completely optional. You know, uh, I don't want to pressure you guys into anything. I will see you guys next week where I will be reviewing Nightmare Alley. Um, I may or may not have a guest. We will see about that. Um, but yeah, uh, thank you guys. I'll see you guys next week. Stay peachy.